The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by BetQL. BetQL is your home for the info to make yourself a smarter better. Plus, their Super Bowl special, if it is still live by the time this is hitting your ears, gives you 50% off their premium data. Just go to BetQL.com, promo code SGP50. That's BetQL.com, promo code SGP50. We're also brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. Better Than Vegas, it's like YouTube for sports betting. Plus, be sure to subscribe to our page so you don't miss a single pick. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. And finally, we're also brought to you by Better Edge. Better Edge is like a stock exchange for sports bets, allowing you to buy and sell betting positions like a stock market. The best part is it allows you to bet with no VIG. That's right, no VIG betting that's legal in 40 states. Sign up at betteredge.com, promo code SGP for a free $10 bet. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-Edge.com, promo code SGP. Thank you for coming to the podcast, the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. If you've come here for winning betting tips and uh, lots of good um, picks to win lots of money, you've come to the wrong spot. So please, <laughs> you can log off and leave right now. But if you've come for inside jokes like me starting the podcast off saying thank you for coming to the podcast, then you've come to the right spot. Uh, like I said, this is this. MMA Gambling Podcast, episode 15. Uh, we're still horrible at making picks, but at least we're entertaining doing it. Hopefully, we're entertaining doing it. I'm your host, Jeff Fox. I cover the sport for sportsgamblingpodcast.com, as well as being one of the editors over there. I also run MMA-Manifesto.com, which is basically a full-scale MMA site. Um, and I'm here, as per usual, with my co-host. I said we and R and all that stuff. It wasn't Royal. It was actually someone who's with me. Um, his uh, usually, uh, actually I'll tell you, he also hosts two other podcasts because he's not busy enough as it is. He hosts the Top Turtle MMA podcast and the Prelim Picker podcast, both must listen to podcasts. Um, and usually I, I'm full of insults and stuff before I introduce him, but I'm just, I'm too mature for that now. I've, <laughs> I'm just going to skip all that, and I'm just going to introduce him. His name is Daniel. I went one for nine last week, one for ten last week with my pick, Reland. Yeah, it was uh, it was historically bad. You know, it was funny too because last week I was like, "This is where we turn the year around. This is where we need to have faith." And we we did turn it around, but we it was in the other direction. We got even worse. Yes, uh, we're speaking of UFC Fight Night, um, Overeem versus Volkov. Uh, we ended up, a bunch of fights got changed after the fact, of course, after we recorded. So we ended up with 10 fights that we had picks for. I got three right. Dan got one right. Um, it was the first he, one, though. Is that worth uh, more? Very, like usual, Dan got the early ones. So basically, you should, once we finish... Uh, for next for this week's upcoming fight card, once we finish picking the first fight or two, you can you can basically just just turn off the podcast. Now that real <laughs> lose your money. So on the year, I'm 19 for 20, 19 and 25. Dan's 13 and 31. It's probably 
upset about those records. Um, what went wrong with this this week, Dan? What's the excuses this week? Well, let's let's start at the top because that's that's the most exciting stuff. The the interesting thing to me about Overeem because I, I was really high on Overeem as an underdog pick uh, on this fight card, and the thing that I think went the wrongest here is that I guess maybe did we just not have enough of a sample size of what Overeem like the new age Overeem obviously I'm talking about because it, he's made some changes and and that's important. But do we not have a big enough sample size of what the new age Overeem looked like against the guy who A, has reach, and B, uses reach? Because, you know, like, wins over Augusto Sakai and, and Walt Harris and, and even his, like, dominant performance against Yair Rosenstrike before he got his lip knocked off. Like, all of those fights are against guys who, who don't have, like, ridiculous reach and ridiculous height. And it, it just seemed like, and it's shocking to say as a guy who's, like, a former K1 champion it's just shocking to think that like he couldn't deal with that. Right. Like, and that's what it looked like. Did that, is that what it looked like to you? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, it's a trope thrown out too often that the old scared thing, but um, I'm not using it as in Alistair Overeem's like a coward or scared, um, but he fought scared right from, right from the get go. Um, the very first, what leg kick seemed to like, like end it for him there. He, he, he retreated back, is back to the cage and he was never in the fight basically from the opening bell. Yeah. And I think he's used to being the guy who can sort of set the pace and set the range too, right? Like he's the guy who he's like, okay, I can stand this far away and they're right on the end of my punches, right where I need him to be. And then I can get out when they throw. And that like just isn't the case with Volkov, right? Like, cause if you're close enough to hit Volkov, he's close enough to hit you a hundred percent of the time. Um, whether you're moving in or out or, you know, how good your your distance management is. Like, Volkov is very long, and he uses that length. And, man, I, I just didn't think Overeem was the type of guy who would have issues with that. But, but hey, that's the lesson we learned there with Overeem. I think also we overlooked that UFC Apex, they use the smaller cage because um, he was, Overeem was backing himself up against the fence, like, the whole fight basically he was had his back against the fence pretty much immediately yeah and, and that seems weird too because uh, again you you might think for a guy who needs to get on the inside especially because i i picked him too not just because of his striking but because i thought he could probably wrestle him up for a guy who needs to get on the inside you would think that the smaller cage would help but right. like you said that backpedaling constantly almost had the exact opposite reaction right like it, it wound up making it harder for him to get into a groove of any kind so that he felt comfortable enough to move forward. Cause every time he was moving back, not only was he moving backwards and out of range, but then he was like stuck against the cage against the guy who was poking and prodding him and it looks like breaking his nose. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, um, yeah. Overeem kind of like, I guess most people do excels when he's uh, the one, like you said, being almost being like the bully in there. And that was definitely not the case. Um, Volkov looked good, though. We're, we're talking about how bad Overeem looked, but um, Volkov definitely seemed to put it all together last night. He, um, I never have been overly impressed with him, like that Greg Hardy fight, uh, for instance, where he should have destroyed Greg Hardy and he kind of just like cruised to a to a victory. Um, but maybe he's turned the corner here. Yeah, I, I can see that, but here's the the problem with where I see Volkov ceiling at. Right, like, it, he has that loss to Curtis Blades, and to me, that loss to Curtis Blades is 
the problem with him at heavyweight, right? There are heavyweight wrestlers out there and damn good ones, right? Because you could see, first of all, Blades is going to do that to him again if he, he ever gets close to a title shot. Um, and you you got to imagine the fact that Stipe is such a smart fighter and did that to Francis Naganu in their first fight. You got to imagine if he ever got a shot at Stipe, he would do that. So, like, I, I just, I have a tough time seeing Volkov as a contender, knowing he has those clear gaps. And, you know, he, he does have back-to-back finishes, but I will say some of my biggest problems with him in the past have been that he doesn't look like he's actively seeking that finish all the time, right? Like the Walt Harris one, he threw like a, a you know, a little push kick to the, the solar plexus or to the, the liver or wherever it landed, and, and it got the finish that way, but it didn't look like he was trying to pour it on. You know, the Curtis Blades fight, he never could. The Greg Hardy fight, he never tried to get Greg Hardy out there despite his shitty cardio. And the Derek Lewis fight, him not pouring it on cost him the fight, you know, with no time left. So, you know, with all those, those like, kind of hiccups in his record and on his resume, I, I just have a tough time seeing him being the champ of a, a heavyweight division where, like, finishes is what are, are what gets you to the top. And he's, like, not, like, the guy who seeks him out. I mean, he's found a couple recently, but he's not the guy who seeks him out. And he has that wrestling deficit. So, I think he did look good. You know, take nothing away from his performance against Overeem. But, uh, for those clamoring that he's, like, now an interesting name in that title picture with guys like Rosenstroik and and Blades and John Jones and Francis Naganu, I, I think he's just a step below that tier. Yeah. Very, very true. Maybe he'll end up being the, the gatekeeper of the division. Um, it's not like he's a, uh, a young pup. He's he's got a lot of miles on his on his tires already. So, so we whiffed on actually we whiffed on all our underdogs. Um, I was gonna say we whiffed on that uh, Overeem pick. How many? There was what five dogs I think that came through last night. Something yeah, like that. and it was like all the weekend. opposite ones that we didn't have. Yeah, right? like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I had Corey Sandhagen correct. Big whoop, minus 420 uh, over Frankie Edgar. He basically, I was afraid Edgar might be dead after that flying knee uh, knockout. He, um, yeah, he, he didn't look good yeah, that, going down. That, that's got to be, and I know it's February and we're going to sound like tools saying this, but like it's got to be knockout of the year, right? Because it was all of the beautifulness that you would expect or, or you saw with the Jorge Masvidal knee, right? Like it, it's a flying knee, locked the guy up hard. It was over. But in addition to that, he walked it off. He didn't try to finish it up. He was like, yup, knew that hit. And and it wasn't just like sprinting across the cage on a guy you know only has a, a takedown attempt in him and nothing else. It was luring one of the best fighters of all time. And I do say that about Frankie Edgar. He is one of the greats in the sport. Like, it was luring him into exactly what you wanted to do and then smacking him in the face with it. And, and to me, that, that makes it even more impressive of a knee than Masvidal's because he lured a multifaceted fighter into his kind of fight. Um, I will say also, you know, I, I picked Frankie Edgar in that because I thought uh, the odds were just too wide, right? Like, I, I said, gun to my head, I'm definitely picking Corey Sandhagen in this fight, but... Since we picked these using the odds and using where we would put $100 if we, we were putting $100 on every fight, which you should all do. Um, <laughs> uh, I, th- I still think Frankie Edgar in that fight, should it have dragged out longer, is still like an intriguing underdog pick. Because, I mean, like my thought was is that Corey Sanhagen's defensive wrestling is not great. Frankie never got a chance to try that, right? Like, And I still would like to see what he can do with defensive wrestling because I'm worried about that. 
in, in future fights, right? Like the champ of the division is Piotr Jan, who's got takedowns. You know, he, he already lost to Aljamain Sterling, who took him down and dominated him. Like, it's not like TJ Dillashaw, who's coming back soon, can't wrestle. You know, like the, the guys at the top of this division can wrestle. So I, I kind of would have liked to seen it. Not that I didn't like to see, you know, big vicious knockout, but uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, hats off to Corey Sanhagen. He definitely earned that next title shot. Right. And um, speaking of Edgar, I'm afraid this is going to, since it was so quick, and like you said, he didn't get to try any of his wrestler or anything, he's going to. He's going to think he just got caught and that he still got uh, another title run in him, despite, what, losing three or four. Really, he lost four or four. Uh, he's g- going to be 40 later this year, and he's been fighting since 2005, and that was – he's – older guys, seems when they get knocked out, they're they, – it just looks different. Like, you used to see it all the time when Bellator used to run freak old guy fights. Like, they just crumple differently, and Edgar kind of looked like that last night, and – I really don't want to see him fighting anymore, but I, I bet he's just going to think that this, he just got caught and, and he's, he's going to become a champion again at the age of 40. If he does fight again, and don't get me wrong, I, I kinda, I'm kind of with you on that one. I, I don't think Frankie Edgar has anything left to prove. If his goal was to be champ one more time, like at 39 years old, suffering a 28-second knockout to a guy like that is clearly a sign that, like, look, that the title in another division ain't happening. Right, so if that was his only goal, it is time to retire. If he does want to stick around and fight a few more times, I will say there are fun fights at Bantamweight to be had. I just hope that's what he seeks out, right? Like, I I would love to see him if he's going to fight again. Why not fight Dominic Cruz? Win or lose against Casey Kenny, Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar, it sells on nostalgia and name value, and it can headline a a fight night card if you really need it to, or it can co-headline a pay-per-view that's got a big title fight at the top with pay-per-view points where they don't want to pay, you know, somebody else big money, you know, because I'm sure Frankie Edgar's making decent money and and Dominic Cruz is making decent money, but they're not getting pay-per-view points. They're not getting another title shot or or anything like that. So yeah, like let them have fun fights like that. If, if you have them in the division, you know, and there are so many, but like, you're right. If his goal is just, I have to get that second belt around my waist, that second divisional belt around my waist before I retire. I think that ship sailed. Yep, no doubt. Um, any other fights you want to talk about from last week? It was I got a bad taste in my mouth from <laughs> our picks. There, there was a lot of a lot of decision um, victories, but there was also some some decent finishes. Anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, I will say we both picked Manel Cap as underdog yeah. against uh, Alexandre Pantoja. I cannot stress this enough, and I've probably said this to everybody who doesn't care about it too even. Like, I'm yelling at my dog being like, why didn't Manel Cap move forward? Um, Manel yeah. Cap, I do honestly believe, still to this day, and I don't mean to keep making excuses for my bad picks because I will own up to them. They were bad picks. Manel Cap is a better fighter than Alexandre Pantoja, and I still believe that. Because in like the two or three times where he actually put the pedal to the metal, his takedown attempts, um, that one time Pantoja thought he got poked in the eye but really just got a knuckle in the eye and Cap just laid it on him, he looked so much better. He looked like a guy who undoubtedly was a top five fighter and possibly even a title challenger. And then just the rest of the time it was like faint, circle, faint, circle, faint, circle, Empty jab that comes up with nothing, faint, circle, throw your hands up in the air because you think you won the round. And it was like, yeah. what the hell are you doing? And, and I think, I hope he goes back and watches that film and is like, 
oh man, I really got to try to land something. Because like, if, if he thought he won that fight in the moment, you know, like obviously I don't know what what's going through kid or uh, fighters' heads during fights, but like. I, I hope he sees that he didn't win that fight and that the judges were right because I think he's a, an exciting talent. And I think that that was uh, probably an underdog pick. We, we were at least right on talent wise, uh, but very ultimately very disappointing performance for him. Yeah. And uh, like you said, um, the, the maybe disturbing to, uh, too severe of a word, but um, it was just funny to see him thinking that he won and that he got robbed after the fight. It went very, very clearly. He he didn't win, and he could have won if if he had put the his foot foot to the gas more. Yeah, and at one point too, I, I think the stats fl- flashed on the bottom of the screen. And I know the stats aren't always, you know, they need to be updated better. But like at one point in time, I would look down at them and just like doing mental calculations. I was like, he is thrown, thrown, not landed, thrown. And it was sometime in the middle of the second round. He has thrown one punch per every 20 seconds. And I'm just like, there's no way anybody is winning anything except for a heavyweight fight by throwing that kind of volume. And certainly not at flyweight. Yeah, no no doubt. Um, so yeah, another one we whiffed on. Uh, any other horrible picks of ours that you want to uh, highlight to everyone and remind them? No, I know, they're all horrible, so, you know, yeah. just go okay. ahead and look back at the card and assume that I missed everything except for the heavy Russian favorite who uh, steamrolled the guy on a four-fight losing streak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at least we, hey, at least you didn't whiff on the obvious one, so um, this maybe this is the week we're going to turn around. This we'll, is we'll it. See. This is the week. You yeah, guys believe. <laughs> all right. Um, before we get into uh, UFC 258, let me tell you about a new sponsor of ours, BetQL. Do you want to get advantage over the sports books when it comes to betting your favorite sports? Of course you do. Then you want to download BetQL. It's the only app that you'll need to make smart bets. Uh, their algorithms um, simulate a whole bunch of, like the Super Bowl, for instance, and just the Super Bowl, they simulated over 10,000 times to find the best prop bets for everyone. Um, now that football is over, they have, uh, they always have, but, but they still have sharp data for college basketball, the NBA, NHL, uh, all sports like that. Uh, so if you want an inside edge for who the pros are backing, then you want to check out BetQL. Um, and they have tons of sportsbook offers for for uh, basically every state uh, all over the place. So head to the App Store or Google Play, uh, download BetQL. Um, looking at the premium content now that they I see they got a whole bunch of uh, like college basketball, hockey, uh, NBA stuff with like 64% win rates or higher, and they have like full breakdown of why. They're making certain picks and whatnot. So make sure you check it out. Um, uh, head over. I'm not sure if this code is still going to be active come this week, but you can try our SGP is always a good code to try no matter where you are. So try SGP50 um, at BetQL, and that should get you 50% off your first subscription. Uh, at least it did as up to last week. So SGP50 at BetQL. All right. Uh, that brings us to this week where we're going to knock it out of the park. Do you think we need to change our strategies here at all, Dan, before we get into actually making picks? Or, or, or are we just, just catching some, some bad breaks here? I, I, think, I think there's not necessarily a strategy change to be made because of our performance. Like I said, the, the dog-heavy finish of, of 2021 so far has been insane. Like, if you look back at the stats, dogs are performing way heavier and at some point that bubble is going to break. And I think that, you know, just changing it and being like, let's pick all the dogs is irresponsible, right? Like 
when you when you look at trends, when stuff goes above a trend and it's clearly performing higher, sometimes it's it, it always reverts to the mean, right? Like that's the way math works. Um, and and actually this week, you know, and I don't mean to give anything away, I actually feel like this card is kind of chalky here. I was I was looking for underdogs to try to play in this one. And I actually don't see a lot that I like. So maybe this is the week that it reverts to the mean and, and we hit big with uh, with some favorites. All right. We'll see. I have a, yeah, I have a few underdogs and a few with, with question marks on that. Um, hopefully we can uh, um, flesh out by, by talking and I'll take the opposite of, of whatever you, you're, <laughs> you're convinced on. Because both the picks that we had different last week, I, I got right. Just thought I would mention that. So, anywho, we will start things off. Um, this is once again going down from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, UFC 258, Usman versus Burns. That's set this Saturday coming up. Uh, early prelims, ESPN Plus, UFC Fight Pass starts at 6:30 p.m. We start off with a good fight. I wish this one was not on the early prelims because it may not be shown up here in Canada. But women's flyweight, uh, fellow Canadian, Jillian Robertson uh, versus Miranda Maverick. Um, we'll start with Jillian first. Uh, she's got nine pro wins, one knockout, six submissions. She is a grappling whiz. Uh, six and three in the UFC. She lost her last fight, um, but won two straight before then. She will be two inches taller. Uh, grappling stats are in her favor. She's a plus 115 dog. Uh, Miranda Fear the Maverick, uh, eight pro wins, one knockout, five submissions, never been finished, won her UFC debut. Uh, she's won four straight fights. Uh, before the UFC, she was in Invicta, so another big league uh, MMA promotion. Um, despite being shorter, she has two inches of reach. She's also two years younger. These are both very young fighters in their career, but she's younger of the two. Uh, striking stats in her favor, but it's a very small sample size. She's at minus 145, and as per usual, I'm going against the Canadian, and I'm picking Miranda Maverick. <laughs> I was going to wonder if you were going to take the Canadian here, but no. I, I, I agree with you on this one. Part of my worry here with, with Jillian Robertson is, is if you look at her last fight with Talia Santos, who I think is actually, in retrospect, wildly underrated because of a, a bad debut. Um, but but the fact of the matter is is that Jillian Robertson is an incredible grappler. You mentioned that right off the top. She's a Dean Thomas black belt. That there's clearly a lot of warrant or you know merit in that that title. But at the same time, she's not as phenomenal when she can't be the top grappler. Right? Like when she is able to grapple on top, she looks incredible. She took Courtney Casey down three times and made Courtney Casey look like she didn't belong in the cage. She took Poliana Botelio down three times and just dominated her for an entire round. She took Sarah Frota down and TK Oder. But in the fight, she has not been able to take her opponent down. She's been rough. Okay, She went 0-2 against Macy Barber, and Macy Barber pieced her up on the feet and finished her. She went 0-2 against Talia Santos, and Talia Santos grinded her out to a decision. Miranda Maverick is a very high-level wrestler. She's very physical and incredibly strong for her division. Even if she was not an incredible wrestler, her strength alone should probably save her here against Jillian Robertson. I think she's better on the feet, and I think if she is in the top game, she's not in danger of being subbed. I expect her to grind this one out and pick a decision up against Jillian Robertson. Right, yeah. When you look at you know, her record um she's fought a lot of fought and beat a lot of a lot of big names victoria leonardo diana bennett pro gonzalez liana juju in her ufc debut so um i don't mean this as an insult i mean only mean as a compliment she she's just she scares me she's just a scary 
fighter when she gets in there, the, the intensity and, and the strength and just her whole approach to the sport. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, you know, I, we were just talking about the fact that, that uh, clearly, you know, Robertson is a great grappler. It's worth mentioning Maverick is a brown belt, too. So it's not like she is also a slouch in the, the jiu-jitsu department, and we're just here talking about the fact that she's an amazing wrestler. But, like, she she did wrestle at, in, in college, right? Like, she wrestled – so she's a high-level wrestler with a jiu-jitsu brown belt against somebody who does far better when she's on top with her jiu-jitsu yeah, I think you're right. She she's just got it, it almost reminds me of like early Tatiana Suarez only at flyweight and, and that in the women's divisions is something that I think we haven't seen a lot of, but it also hasn't hasn't gone badly for any fighter with that style. So, you know, I'm interested to see what she'll do in future fights, but this is definitely the right step up for her. Right. I mean, this it should be a fantastic fight. Um to watch regardless so all right um we'll move it on to a couple guys i don't know quite as much about but dan i'm sure does because he knows about all these people somehow um but his info doesn't do him much good but but he he knows lots about these people so um this will be welterweights we got gabriel green and uh philip rowe we will start off with actually it's a pick 'em fight, so there is no underdog. But we'll start off and start off with Green. Uh, nine pro wins, three knockouts, six submissions. So he's uh, never gone to the decision in a uh, in a victory of his. Um, this will be his UFC debut. Uh, he won his way into, I want to say into the house, but his, into into the big show on the Dana White Contender Series. Um, he's won seven straight fights. He um, will be five inches taller. Uh, seven of actually, I'm looking at the wrong person. Mike, uh, I was gonna say, are you talking about Roe? <laughs> what am I talking about? All right, let's let's go with Roe. Uh, so this is Philip Roe. Seven wins, uh, three knockouts, four submissions. So he's finished every one of his fights. Um, like I said, seven straight wins. This will be his debut. He he won on Dana White Contender Series. Five inches taller, seven inches of reach. Grappling stats in his favor, but this is very small sample size for these two guys. He's minus one fifteen. Uh, one thing to note, he's not fought since July of 2019. I think when I was looking on Tapology, it was three or four fights he had have fallen out in the meantime. Um, over to Green. Uh, he does indeed have nine wins, and they are all finishes, like I said earlier. Three knockouts, six submissions. Um, he lost his UFC debut. He also fought in Bellator, where he went 2-1. and one. Um, Three years younger than Roe. Um, he's also at minus 115. When you look at the resumes, his resume is much better than Roe's just uh, based on experience and who he's fought. Um, so I think I'm probably going to pick him because of the better resume and the fact that Roe's been out so long. But Roe's size is a bit of a concern to me. Yeah, I would say that I would worry about that as well. But but one of the things about green too is so this is a, a 170 pound bout it's the second in a row for gabe green who previously was down at 155 he fought a lot of his career at 155 and you mentioned he's 510 that's a short 170 year but he is so big he was killing himself to make 55 and i think when we saw him for the first time or at least the first time in a while he does have old fights at 70 the first time in a while was a short night of his fight against daniel rodriguez and he landed over 130 punches on Daniel Rodriguez in a fight, and he ate 170 of them, and Daniel Rodriguez didn't put him out, which just goes to show you that, like, him killing himself to go down a weight class, he, he can hang with the 170-pounders. And the other thing that I find really interesting here 
is that both of these guys have fought Leon Shabazian and beat Leon Shabazian, younger brother of Edmund Shabazian. And in Philip Rowe's contender series fight, which, you know, you mentioned is a little while ago now, he actually got taken down and kind of bullied a little bit by Leon Shabazian, which is worrisome to me in a fight with Gabriel Green, who is so physical, who, despite the fact that he prefers to strike and he's got good kickboxing, is an amazing grappler. Like, he is really, really, really talented when he gets on the ground. He's he's strong as hell. He holds you down. He's got great chokes. Um, I actually think that if he gets on the inside, which is really possible because Roe kind of comes forward with reckless abandon, he's going to take him down pretty easily, and I think his top game is going to be enough here to finish Roe. All right, there we go. Dan and I are agreeing again, which hasn't bode too well in the past. But it's early in the night, though, so these are the exactly. right picks. <laughs> these are the right picks. But we know about the obscure guys. Um, to, uh, as for the main the main event, so to speak, of the early prelims, I wish this fight was higher up in the card too, because this should be a, a heck of a fight. Uh, featherweights: Ricky Simone, Brian Kelleher. Um, we will start with Boom Kelleher. Uh, Twenty-two pro wins, eight knockouts, ten submissions. Um, he's one and one in his last two fights, but he's won three of his last four. Um, he won his last fight. He's plus two ten in this one. Uh, Ricky Simone's got 17 pro wins, five knockouts, three submissions. So he doesn't finish a heck of a lot. Five and two in the UFC. Uh, he's won two straight fights. Uh, he's got three inches of reach on Kelleher. He's six years younger striking and grappling stats are in his favor. Uh, this He will be taking this fight on short notice, though, which is a little bit of a concern um, normally, uh, statistically speaking at least. He's minus 270. Um, your thoughts on this one, Mr. Vreeland? I, I think this is a pretty clear fight to, to Ricky Simone here. I, I like Brian Kelleher. I like him a lot. The problem with this fight is twofold, first of all. So... First of all, this fight is happening at 145 pounds, which I actually think is a large disadvantage for Brian Kelleher, who is, while the big 135-er, he is not as misfit for the 135 division as Ricky Simone, who is a very large, very strong guy for that division. Him not having to suck any more muscle out of that giant frame is going to be a huge benefit to him. Then in the fact that you add in the fact that, that Ricky Simone has... 20 takedowns in his last three fights. And we're talking about, you know, Brian Kelleher, a guy who got taken down by Ray Rodriguez and got taken down twice by Cody Stamen. And like, he's a guy who gets taken down a little bit, you know, and it's, it's no, you know, it's no knock on his skills. It's no knock on what he's able to do. I actually think his top game's pretty good, but he's fighting a guy who's bigger than him, stronger than him and better at takedowns than him. And like you said, Ricky's not a guy who like, goes balls to the wall and gets risky and tries to finish it. The one time he did that, he got knocked cold by Uriah Faber. Like, I think that that Ricky is going to play this one safe. You're going to see a lot of grinding in this fight. You're going to see a lot of taking him down. You're going to see putting him up against the cage. Kelleher working back to his feet 800 times and getting taken down 801. And and Ricky Simone winning a pretty clear decision here. I agree with that. So we're three for three on agreeing with one another. but. That's good. That means we're on the same page and we're going to have them all right this week. So, <laughs> um, that, so the early prelims, at least, um, we are on, on the same same track. Um, before we move into the regular prelims, let me tell you about BetterThan.Vegas. BetterThan.Vegas, it's like YouTube, but for what all of us hashtag the gens only care about, which would be sports betting. Uh, the best part about that site is you get free video picks from the SGPN crew uh, almost every day or pretty much every day. Um, 
you could have got losing picks from me last week if, if you went and checked uh, that. So you can probably get losing picks from me again this coming week when you go and look at that site. So uh, make sure you check it out uh, and subscribe to our page. That would be sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTB. And you won't miss any of our videos and any of my wrong picks. Um, you get a notification every time one of us posts a video. Uh, so make sure you go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV to subscribe to our better than dot Vegas page today. So sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. Okay, moving on to the regular prelim portion, which will be on the big ESPN and ESPN Plus starting at 8 o'clock as per usual for pay-per-views. Start off with women's strawweight, Pollyanna Vienna, Mallory Martin. Um, Vienna, we'll start with the underdog here. Uh, 11 pro wins, four knockouts, seven submissions. So she has finished all of her victims in the past. Uh, she's only two and three in the UFC, but she won her last fight. She will be an inch taller, but she's got four inches of reach, which is fairly significant there. Uh, she's a slight plus 135 dog. Uh, as for Martin, seven pro wins, two knockouts, two submissions. Uh, she's one and one in the UFC, dropped her debut, won her last fight. Two years younger, striking stats in her favor. Minus 165, uh, I'm going with Chalk again in this one. Yeah, I'm going with Chalk again here too. Uh, I think the the interesting part of this fight is that when we're looking at it, you know, Viana was on a three-fight losing streak, which is certainly not good. Um, you know, and on a three-fight losing streak to, you know, people who, who are not the best fighters in their divisions. You know, J.J. Aldrich, you're not thinking of as being one of the best. Hannah Cyphers, I think, is on a 31-fight losing streak. So, But her last win was Pollyanna Viana. So, like, she, she didn't look good against a lot of those. And she did catch Emily Whitmire with good jujitsu her last time out. And, and props to her for that, right? She probably saved her career by, by beating Emily Whitmire there. But ultimately, it was like a quick, flashy submission right at the beginning and I just don't see that path to victory against somebody like Mallory Martin. If Mallory Martin doesn't want to go to the ground with Pollyanna Viana, this fight will never be on the ground because she's just a better wrestler than Pollyanna Viana is. And if she does want to go to the ground, it's going to be on her terms. I really think the path to victory here is Viana doing a well enough on the feet that she encourages Mallory Martin to take it to the mat. And then Mallory Martin has to do something stupid enough to get caught with a submission from Viana on her back. And and I just don't see that as a path to victory because I think Mallory Martin's smarter than that. Mallory Martin's better than that. Um, You know, Valerie Martin, uh, you look at her fight with Hannah Cyphers, and she dominated that top position. She dominated when it went to the ground. You know, people, I think, write her off a little bit for the loss to Virna Jandiroba, but Mallory Martin is a beast on the mat. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that here. I think we're going to see her probably win a positional battle I don't expect her to be able to sub Viana, but I do expect her to be good enough on the feet and be able to use the bottom or the, you know, the, the ground game in order to grind out a decision should it need to go there. And losing to Jandaroba in hindsight does not look bad at all. She's made her, she's already made herself one of the top prospects in, in the division. So yeah. And, and uh, her losses too, it's worth noting too, because people are writing Jandaroba off. Her, her losses are to Carla Sparza and Mackenzie Dern, who are, you know, top-level grapplers, too. And, and Jandaroba is right in that that sentence with, like, the really high-level wrestling jiu-jitsu gals in, in the 115-pound division. And I think Mallory Martin's just probably a, a slight step down from that tier. Yep. All right, we agreed on another one. Uh, Mallory Martin is both our picks. Uh, welterweight, another fun fight. There, there's, this may not be the – on paper, it may not be a – 
super exciting fight for for casual uh, super exciting fight card excuse me for casual fans but there is a heck of a lot of fun fights when, when you actually break down each one uh welterweight uh Bilal Muhammad Diego Lima um Lima 15 pro wins four knockouts four submissions uh three and two in the UFC but he's won three straight so he dropped his first two um they kept him on for another kick of the can, and it's paid off for him. So he's won three straight, but he's not fought since October of 2019. Uh, he will be the bigger man here, three inches of height, three inches of reach, a year younger, a very huge plus 312 underdog at this point. Uh, remember the name, Bilal Muhammad, 17 wins, four knockouts, one submission, eight and three in the UFC. I, he's very underrated, I, I think. Um when you look at his record, uh, he's won his last three, seven and one over his last eight. Uh, he's a- actually, uh, he may be underrated by fans, but he's not underrated by sports book because he, he's at minus 385. Well, I'm not a fan of numbers as high. Uh, he's, he's my pick to win the fight. Yeah, he's my pick to win the fight too. I don't like the number this high because of, you know, the, the layoff for, for Muhammad is not small either, right? Like he, he last fought in June. So, I mean, we're still talking about like eight months here for him. The layoffs big for Lima. He's coming off a bunch of wins, but like you said, Muhammad's three losses are to Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque and Alan Joban, which is a hell of a, a run of fighters there. And I will add in there too, in all of his other fights, he does a phenomenal job of taking his opponent to the mat once he's broken them in with his striking. And I think that that's actually probably the most underrated part of Bilal Muhammad's game is that he lulls you into a false sense of security and then chains a takedown in there. And he's not successful on a ton of them. And, and uh, you know, like, I don't mean to be this disparaging about it, but like he, he doesn't hit a high percentage of his takedowns. But what he does is he touches you, touches you, touches you, shoots one. If it doesn't work, backs out, hits you a couple more times, lulls you back into the security, and then he'll get the next one. You know, like, and you see that in his fights. Like, he dragged Lyman Good to the ground a bunch of times because he thought he made Lyman Good think he was going to box with him. Um, and you could say the same with Takashi Sato. You could say the same thing. I mean, go way back. He did it to Tim Means. Like, he out wrestled Randy Brown. Like, th- there are lots of great grapplers out there that he took it to. And, and I think that this is probably the path to victory here against Diego Lima because Lima himself likes to work quite a bit of his top game. Like, he, he looks good on the mat. But at the same time, he's been taken down a lot in his career. You know, you go back to those losses that you mentioned. He lost two in a row to kick off his his second run in the UFC. And it was with six takedowns to Yushin Okami. And, and Yushin Okami's got a good grappling game. No knocks there. But the way that Bilal Muhammad chains it together, I actually like his takedown game better here against somebody like Lima, who can get lulled into that type of you know, sort of slobber knocker type fight. So yeah, I really like Muhammad in this fight. I probably, you're right. Don't like the number being that high. Uh, but I do like him to win this one. Right. Yeah. And I should mention this is Lima's second kick at the can. Um, so overall in the UFC, he's three and two in the most recent run before that he was one and three. So he's had plenty of opportunities to, 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 um, to shine here and i guess i guess you can't knock at him winning three straight obviously but remember the name is the name we're going to remember and we're going to bet on this coming weekend mr muhammad um is the main event at time no oh we have a middleweight fight first um rodolfo vera a grappling master wizard whoever you want to call him he's got more gold medals than 
Michael Phelps, probably, in, uh, in jiu-jitsu, though. Uh, he'll be fighting against Anthony Hernandez. Um, this, like I said, is a middleweight fight. Hernandez, seven pro wins, one knockout, five submission. Um, lost his last UFC fight. Uh, he is one and two in his UFC career. He's two inches taller, four years younger, uh, plus 315 is what he's bringing you if you bet on him. Uh, like I said, Vieira is a submission wizard. He's 7-0 as the MMA Practitioner, all of those are finishes. One knockout, six submissions, a 2-0 in the UFC, minus 390. Um, yeah, I, I think w- with his grappling, he's he's got to be the pick here, even though Hernandez is no slouch on the mat. Yeah, he's no slouch on the mat, but I will say what he does is he, he goes for high-risk moves, right? Like he, he dives on chokes when he feels like he sees them. And that's a a fine tactic if you're on the regional circuit or even fighting some lower-level grapplers in the UFC. But, like, he's literally, like you said, fighting one of the great MMA grapplers who exists out there. So, with that being said, not only am I taking Rodolfo Vieira, I don't mind the price tag. And I'm looking for sub-props all over the place because I think this, without a doubt, winds up being a Rodolfo Vieira submission and I'm not sure even there needs to be more to be said than that, right? Like, Hernandez is a risky grappler who looks for, you know, to dive on a choke or to dive on a, an armbar, to dive on anything he can find, loves the, the anaconda choke. He's just never going to find that against somebody like Rodolfo Vieira. Right. Vieira, I just kind of had seven has 17 gold medals in high-level high uh, jiu-jitsu competition, including a gold at uh, ADCC in 2015. And one, two, three, four, five world championship gold medals and two silver medals. So, yeah, and a whole bunch of Pan Am championships, World Cups, European championships. I know it's different sport, but, but yeah. Uh, but, well. but it's worth mentioning, too, that he has transitioned incredibly well to the MMA side of things, right? Like we've talked about guys who are world champion jiu-jitsu guys who just can't put it together in the in the UFC or in MMA in general. That's not him, right? Like what you've we've seen from him so far in the UFC – is two straight triangle chokes against, or arm triangle chokes rather, against guys who, you know, granted they're not the highest level guys, but he went in there, imposed his will, used his top game, just like he does in jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, like, th- this is a slam dunk pick. No doubt. Um, which means we're losing. He's going to get ta- <laughs> he, he's going to get tapped out or choked out. Something ridiculous is going to happen. Um Brings us to the main event of the prelims. Another, this fight was just added basically last minute, but it is a heck of a fight. Uh, lightweights, uh, two long-standing veterans, Bobby Green and Jim Miller. Um, Jim Miller, 32 pro wins, uh, four knockouts, 18 submissions. Uh, lost his last uh, fight in the octagon. He's three and two over his last five. Um, grappling stats in his favor. He's another one of these grappling masters. He's at plus 210. Uh, Bobby Green, 27 wins, eight knockouts, nine submissions. He also lost his last fight. Uh, before that, he won three straight. He's got two inches of height on Miller, three years younger. Striking stats in his favor. He's at minus 270. A fun matchup here, Dan. Yeah, it's a fun matchup. Uh, I, you know, I, I told you I was I was searching for underdogs. I wanted to pick. Yeah. I, I think I'm chalk so far with Gabe Green being the only pick him, and, and I really. You know, I looked at those numbers and I was like, man, Jim Miller at plus 210, that that seems juicy. And then I was like, no, it's not, though, because here's the thing. You're right. Jim Miller, phenomenal grappler. The problem here is, is that if you look at his last two wins, which were Roosevelt Roberts and Clay Guida, which Clay Guida, especially in retrospect, looks really good. 
Those last two wins have come by Roosevelt Roberts taking him down and not being careful with his arm. And Clay Guida getting tagged on the feet and shooting a desperation takedown while he tries to regain consciousness and getting guillotine choked. And, and I don't know about you, but I just don't see, first of all, Bobby Green choosing to engage in a grappling match with Jim Miller. And I certainly don't see Jim Miller tagging him on the feet. So that, that brings up the question, like, can Jim Miller just take down Bobby Green? I don't know that he can, right? Like, Bobby Green, you know, I guess he got taken down by Tiago Moises, who's who's pretty good too, and maybe on that same kind of path. But, man, I, I don't know that Jim Miller is the right type of guy here to get that win. I will say at plus 210, he's one of my more tempting underdogs. But I think, even with these odds, I think I'm still taking Bobby Green. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking Miller, actually. Um, mostly, well, not mostly, but he is one of my favorites. But uh, I, I, he was one of the ones I was I was thinking about possibly taking. I think he's worth it at, at plus 210. When you look at Bobby Green gets taken down a lot. Elaine Patrick, uh, actually, yeah, Tego Moses took him down twice. Elaine Patrick took him down once before that. Lando Venata took him down. Clay Guida took him down three times. Uh, Francisco Trinado took him down. So that's what? Um, five straight fights. He's been taken down at least once. Um, then before that, Eric Koch took him down. Lana Bonato took him down four times. So he does get taken down a lot. Um, and I, I just think I, money-wise, I, I, I'm swinging for the fences here, and I think Miller is, is worth it at plus you, 210. You know what? You know what? I was on the fence anyway. I think you officially changed one of my picks. I'm going oh, to no. side with you. I like Jim Miller in this one too. You know, I, I, like I said, I was really close to picking him at the beginning. You read off those takedown stats. He shouldn't be giving up takedowns to freaking Alan Patrick and three to Clay Guida. Granted, he is pouncing up after all of those. But it's Jim Miller. Let's let's ride. Let's roll the dice with Jim Miller. I'm going to take the dog here too. There you go. It's not like Green's a massive finisher either. It's not like he's going to spark him on, on the feet. So I figure Miller, via decision, will say he, he'll grind one out. All right, so there we go. That, that's a big underdog for us. Um, and that concludes the prelim portion. We'll, let's do the main card commercial-free. So let's talk about our last sponsor first, uh, Better Edge. Better Edge is a stock exchange for sports bets, allowing you to buy and sell betting positions like a stock market. The best part is it allows you to bet with no vig. Since you're buying positions from other sports bettors, there's no house, and you can play for money up to 40 states at this point. Um, right now, they're doing weekly college basketball contests on Wednesdays and Saturdays. $10 to enter, and each user will start with a balance of 1,000 edge coins to wager on the games. The player with the highest earnings will take the entire pool of entry fees. It's a battle royale, winner take all. Find the link under the competitions tab. Sign up today at Better Edge and use promo code SGP for a free $10 bet. So that's B-E-T-T-O-R edge.com, promo code SGP. All right, to the main card, our pay-per-view portion, 10 o'clock start. Start with middleweights, uh, Coconut Bombs, Mackie Pitolo versus Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez. This is quite a nickname battle here. Um, Coconut Bombs, first, uh, 13 pro wins, seven knockouts, three submissions. Um, he's lost his last two fights. He's only won one of his four UFC appearances thus far. Three inches reach, striking stats in his favor, plus 150 underdog. Marquez, seven pro wins, all of them finishes. Uh, six knockouts, one submission. He's actually never gone to a finish. He's never been finished on the other end of things 
no, sorry, he's never gone to, to a decision, rather. He's never been finished. So all of his fights end before the judges have a call on it. So um, he won his UFC debut, lost his last fight. But that was way back in July 2018. He's not been in the cage since then, UFC cage at least. Uh, he'll be four inches taller. He's minus 180 in this one. Uh, I'm going to throw caution to win and take another underdog here and go with uh, Pitolo due to the due to the um, – Mark has this huge uh, layoff and um, in the striking to manage also and reach your manage for, for Pitolo. Yeah. And I would say this too. Uh, so I, I'm also going with Maki Pitolo and I, I think that he, he's a wise pick here. He was like the number one underdog I circled and, and you're right. The reach is an interesting thing, right? Because despite the fact that he has fought at a lower weight class in the past, right? Like he's, he's made it down to welterweight and looked, you know, like an average welterweight, when he comes up to middleweight, he's extremely fast. And you expect him to have a speed advantage, but like a size disadvantage. And in this case, you know, there is a size disadvantage a little bit, right? Marquez is a big dude, but like there isn't a size disadvantage as far as the reach goes. And I actually think that that along with the speed plays huge. Pitolo is also a guy who like draws people into uh, wars. And knowing that Marquez has been away for a while... Like, the sense of timing, I assume, is down. And not only has he been away, you know, like, when you look at those long layoffs, if you're on Tapology, which, you know, like we said, is one of our favorite tools, you you can see all the canceled fights now. And he actually doesn't have very many of those either. I think there's one in there when I was checking before, which to me is alarming, right? Like, he's not even going through training camps for fights. So, like, obviously long layoffs due to injury or, or personal life or COVID or whatever it was holding him out. He's not been been working on his timing as much as Pitolo has, who's had a lot of bouts. But, like, and you said, you know, not, not the most, you know, impressive record. But he's fought some really tough guys. And, and but Kasangane, that fight was fun as hell. And that's a guy who is very fast for his division, is, is kind of like that same type of fighter. And it went the distance. So, like... I, I kind of like Maki Pitolo here. I, I think he lands big shots. I, I think this winds up being a pretty fun fight regardless, but I like his timing and the fact that he's going to be faster against the guy who I expect to be rusty. No doubt. And who, who knows what kind of gas tankies uh, Marquez is going to have too, if, if Pitolo, especially if Pitolo turns this uh, into a, into a dog fight. So, all right, there you go, guys. One and a half times your money for that one. Um, so get on that. Um, Bantamweights next. Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera. Uh, Munoz is got 18 pro wins, five knockouts, eight submissions. He's never been finished in a fight. He's dropped his last two fights. Um, not really, because he, he he beat Frankie Edgar, but officially he didn't. Um, he's only three and three over his last six. Two inches taller than Rivera, uh, plus 110. Um, Rivera, 23 wins, four knockouts, two submissions. So there's no real threat uh, of of him finishing uh, Munoz here, uh, especially since Munoz has never been finished. Now that those words have come out of my mouth, you know what's going to happen. But um, Rivera won his last fight. He's two and three over his last five. Three inches taller, three years younger. Grappling stats in his favor, minus 140. Uh, what are you thinking on this one? I'm leaning on Jimmy Rivera mostly, you know, and you said grappling stats in his favor. He is not a 
great offensive grappler. Let's start there. He, there's no way he wants to or is going to take Jim, or, uh, Pedro Munoz down. Um, it would be the stupidest thing he could possibly do. But with that being said, he's got amazing takedown defense, right? Like his takedown defense is top notch. And he's going against a guy in, in Pedro Munoz who does have power in his hands. He certainly could spark him. But like more likely what's going to happen here is Jimmy Rivera is going to point fight him on the, the feet. Um, I mean, like to, to just, you know, sort of put a, a cap on, on what he's doing defensive wrestling wise. When he fought Aljamain Sterling, and don't get me wrong, he lost that fight to Aljamain Sterling. He stopped seven out of seven takedown attempts from Aljamain Sterling, who we largely consider to be maybe the best grappler at Bantamweight, a division loaded with grapplers. He also stopped two out of three of Peter Jans. So, like, going against the two guys in the championship fight that's coming up, he's got 90% takedown defense, and overall his takedown defense is better than that. So, you know, like, we're talking about this fight probably taking place on the feet. I think Jimmy Rivera is the type of guy who has learned that he needs to throw volume out there and to, to make sure his volume is working. I, I don't think Pedro Munoz is going to tag him like he tagged Cody Garbrandt because I don't think Jimmy Rivera is that reckless. And if he doesn't land that, I actually think Jimmy Rivera probably is a better point fighter on the feet um, than Pedro Munoz. And for that reason, I'm, I'm going to go with Jimmy Rivera. I'll go with Munoz. Finally, we have a, a different pick. Um, Munoz is more active uh, striker. His defense is not as good, but um, he's more active, and I, I, I like him at plus money. So let's roll the dice here. Uh, need another dog, and I, I think he's he's the worthy one. So plus, it makes us different. So I, I can be one at least one up on and you. I, and I stole one of your underdogs before and just it's jumped true. that bandwagon. So it's I'm true. not going to do that here. I like Jimmy Rivera. All right. All right. Uh, middleweights, uh, Calvin Gastelum uh, and Ian Heinisch. Um, Heinisch, 14 pro wins, five knockouts, two submissions. So half his fights, he finishes people, his opponents. Won his last fight. Uh, that was his only win in his last three, though. He dropped two before then. Uh, he's won three of his last five. Uh, two inches taller than Gastelum, an inch of reach, striking stats in his favor. Um, Gastelum is had quite quite the fall of late uh, 15 pro wins six knockouts four submissions he's lost three straight uh he's only won two of his last uh six fights he only fights top level guys so uh, keep that in mind uh three years younger than heinish minus 210 um i i'm betting on him getting off the schneid and winning this week uh, i'm i'm gonna pick gastelum officially too but again this is another one whose odds i don't really like um, because like you said, Gastelum is on a big slide. It's only against the very highest of the high, right? Idesanya, Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, those are guys people lose to, right? Like, because they're good. But at the same time, you know, like, he's his last wins are not really great either, right? Like, his last wins are against uh, an aging Jacare Souza, a fight he only won by split decision, and a knockout over Michael Bisping, who had one foot in the coffin at the moment. So, like... And it just been beaten, right? Like he just turned around and got one more fight in there just for funsies. And that wasn't a good idea. So like when we talk about the Calvin Gaston, he's so hard to line right now for me, right? Because like, you know, before that was a really ugly loss to Chris Weidman by submission. So like he hasn't looked good, but his competition is good. And when he looked good before his competition was bad. So it's hard to sort of decide whether or not he is, you know, on his way out and is looking bad and has been for a while, or if this is just a blip 
and then you, you know you look at Ian Heinish, almost you could say the same thing, right? Like he went into a grappling match with Antonio Carlos Jr. looked good, uh, which is weird, uh, but at the same time looked really bad against Omari Akhmedov. He knocked out Gerald Mearshart, but like Gerald Mearshart gets knocked out as we just recently saw. So they're hard guys to line. So at a negative 200 number, I just don't like, I don't feel like we've got a good enough comparison point for these two to feel really good about any of my picks. Hashtag chunky guy we're going with at least. Yeah, I think I think Calvin Gastelum, middleweight Calvin Gastelum is a yes. hashtag chunky. The welterweight Calvin Gastelum, not a hashtag chunky guy except for when he misses weight. Catch weight, catch weight Calvin Gastelum is a hashtag chunky guy. All right, good. We're, we're, we're stretching for them, uh, finding the, the chunky guys. No one tipped us off in advance that Overeem is uh, – kind of a hashtag chunky guy yeah, he looked a little um, look, look a yeah. little thicker around the middle this past week yeah <laughs> no one we're not we're not weight shaming we we like the hashtag chunky guys we're just just saying someone should have tipped us off in advance for that um our co-main event are neither chunky nor guys um it would be a women's flyweight uh macy barber the returning macy barber and alexa grasso um barber this will be her first fight since tearing her knee apart uh, against Roxanne Modafari last January, so it's a little over a year. Um, that was her only pro loss. Um, she's 8-1 and one as a pro, five knockouts, two submissions, never been finished. That was a, a decision loss there. Um, five years younger than Grasso, which is saying a lot because Grasso is young herself. Um, striking stats are in Barber's favor. Um, she's at plus 110. Grasso, 12-3, four knockouts. Um, past seven fights have... She swapped wins and losses back and forth. So she's not happy. Um, and she won her last fight. So keep that in mind. Uh, slight one-inch reach advantage, minus 140. Um, Barber is going to be one of, another one of my underdogs. I'm going with a plus 110. I'm going to stick with Grasso on this one. I, I hear I hear the love for Macy Barber. You know, a lot of people write off that loss to Roxanne Modafari. Oh, she got hurt early. You know, she she's not herself. But also, I, I think, too, that I think one of my biggest problems with that mentality uh, that that people have in writing that loss off is I largely think Macy Barber has that same mentality. She took a loss to a better fighter, and I do mean that. I do believe that Roxanne Modafari is better than Macy Barber, or was at least at that time that night, whether she still is a year later. That's sort of to be seen. But I think that she also is writing off that loss as if it was not a loss, that it was an injury and it shouldn't have counted. But the problem with that is is that she looked like she was getting hit by Roxanne Modafari on the feet. And that goes before the injury, too. And she was getting bodied by Roxanne Modafari on the feet, which is goes before the injury as well, too. And to me, if, if you just write off that whole fight as an injury problem, which I largely think, and if you've seen interviews with her, even the interview right after the fight, which don't even get me started on that, where she stole the mic from a big win, Roxanne Modafari, and decided she was going to talk about herself for a little bit. I, I think mentally that is a terrible approach coming off of your first pro loss. And when she's fighting somebody like Grasso, if she thinks that she is not going to get tagged, that she is a more talented striker, and that the only reason she got tagged by Roxanne Montefiore was an injury, that's a bad approach going against somebody like Alexa Grasso, who can absolutely touch her on the feet all the time. Alexa Grasso has great volume, right? Like, she lands over five strikes a minute. She landed like 150 strikes on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. You know, I, I think the path to victory for Macy Barber here is the takedown. 
but I don't know that she's going to get the entry on a takedown here well enough to win this fight, especially because I think Grasso at 125 is much stronger, much more physical than she was at 15, where she I think she was killing herself to make that weight a little bit. So, yeah, I like Grasso here. I, I think she defends enough of the takedowns and stuffs enough of Macy Barber to light her up on the feet. Um, we should have a uh, warning here that Dan is a Roxanne Modifari mark. I so am 100% a Roxanne Modifari uh, mark. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of this is through the Happy Warrior colored tinted glasses here. Um, and he's mad that um, Barber stole some of her shine. Um, yeah, Barber definitely lost that fight. The injury and injury, she definitely got pieced up. But I, Grasso just, I, when you look at her record, she's only lost to basically very good fighters, but she just has never impressed me. She never is, she's always been like a top prospect who's never seems to really have put it together. I will and agree with that. Her, Sorry, go ahead. I, I will agree with that, but I will say this, too. I, I, in breaking down her last fight against Yee on Kim, I took Yee on Kim when I was picking that fight. I was wrong on that one. And I, I think I said the same things as you just said, is that, like, I think she's never really impressed me. She's never really felt like she was that prospect turning that corner. And, you know, because she lost that fight to Carla Esparza, got, you know, badly outgrappled, kept getting to her feet. Same with the Tatiana Suarez fight. Same with the Felice Herrig fight. And, like, she got little wins in, in between in there. And it seemed like she couldn't put it together. But I will say at 125, she looks different. She, she looks stronger. She was the one getting the takedown on Gigi on Kim. Like, I just think... I think 125, you're going to see that, and, and this is a prediction, you're going to see that corner turned for Alexa Grasso here because I think that was probably the thing holding her back all the time. If she does not have the energy or gas tank when she kills herself to make 115, as she does at 125, feeling healthy, feeling like she can do everything she can. Yep, very good points. And we don't know how Barbara's going to look coming off a, uh, not just off a laugh, but off a serious serious in injury. Um, the, I'm, I'm still picking her, uh, but this isn't by no means a, a slam dunk pick or anything like that. So should be a, should be a fun fight to see regardless. Not sure if it's worthy of a pay-per-view co-main event, but uh, that's in the COVID area when fights fall off. And I think we were supposed to have Weidman and Hall was supposed to be the co-main event in this one, but... These things happen in MMA, um, as as a uh, severe MMA podcast like to say. So, um, main event is a welterweight uh, championship fight uh, between Champ Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. We've done a little bit of breakdown on this fight on past episodes on when we were looking ahead at fights. Um, we'll do a more in-depth one here, obviously. Uh, Gilbert Burns, 19-3 and three as a pro, six knockouts, eight submissions. He's won six straight fights, which has gotten him this long-awaited um, title fight, which has been booked and unbooked uh, a billion times, it seems, heading into this. Uh, he's plus 215 dog uh, in this fight, so quite sizable uh, underdog. Because Kamaru Usman is 17-1 and one as a pro. Um, he's won 16 straight fights. Uh, seven knockouts, one submission. Um, he's two inches taller than Burns, five inches of reach, a year younger, striking and Grappling stats in his favor. He's at minus 275. Um, I'll be going with chalk in this one. But I, I know you, uh, at least in the past, you've uh, thought Burns was a, a worthy underdog. I'm not sure if you're going to pick him, but you thought he was a worthy worthy contender. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, he is not only a worthy contender, but he is, of everybody at welterweight in the whole UFC, the worst matchup for Kamara Usman. 
Um, just because, uh, I mean, like, look at Kamara Usman's wins. He's either refusing to go to the ground with you if you're good at jujitsu and beating you on the feet, or he's taking you to the ground if he's not afraid of your jujitsu and suffocating you there, right? Like, that's what he did to Tyrone Woodley, you know, against uh, Colby Covington. Little mix and match. Took him down because he's not afraid of his jujitsu and also blasted him on the feet. You know, and, and you're going to see him do that type of game plan against everybody. But here's the, the weird thing about this one. He is 100% the better wrestler than Gilbert Burns. He could take him down whenever he wanted. The question is, does he want to? Because Gilbert Burns is an amazing grappler. Gilbert Burns, you know, his jujitsu is right up there. I, I don't mean to oversell it. I think his jujitsu is right up there with the likes of Demi and Maya. You know, like he, he grappled with Demi and Maya. And like, I think that being said means I don't know that Kamara Usman will shoot that takedown. And when you can consider that fact that, that Kamara Usman might not want to be on the ground with Gilbert Burns, I like Gilbert Burns better on the feet. I'm going to be honest. I think Gilbert Burns is a better, probably a better striker and a better power puncher, definitely, than Kamara Usman. So I guess the question just becomes, like, how does that look in a five-round fight, right? And, and that's ultimately the biggest question I have here is that if he's the better power puncher and the better striker, does he get tired enough that at the end of the fight that Usman is not afraid of his jiu-jitsu anymore? Maybe. For sure, that, that's a possibility. And then he grinds out rounds four and five and wins a decision. But at plus, you know, over 200, you can find him 210, 230, depending on the sports book. At those prices, I'm willing to, to roll the dice on, on Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert Burns at, at plus 200 plus is, is definitely the play to make here if you have to put money down in this fight. I think this is a dog or a pass kind of fight if, you, if you're looking to bet. Um, and, and I think, you know, Gilbert Burns, like I said, one of the more intriguing matchups for Usman, and I like his stand-up enough to pick him here. Well, there you go. That's a quite a, quite an underdog pick for Dan. I guess I have a – oh, yeah, you stole that one too. A plus two Dan. <laughs> Dan, is, I, starting off saying that he um, – it was a chalky card. He's he's gone with some some big I, I underdogs. Here. With, I think I wound up with three, right? And in I mentally before the the podcast started had two, and then you convinced me that Bobby Green could be taken down. So so a two two is still kind of a chalky card. Um, and, and you know, like I said, if if this fight, uh, speaking of the main event, Usman Burns, if this fight was coming in at, at you know pick a money, Usman's probably my pick, right? Like. I just think at those prices, if we were, you know, under the construction we've made for this this podcast, which is bet $100 on every fight, which, spoiler alert, we don't actually advise. Uh, but if you were doing that and you had $100 and somebody told you you had to put it on these odds, uh, I'm picking the plus 220, 230 odds on, on Gilbert Burns. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I think maybe two underdogs win on this card. That's still chalky. But you're not uh... – but you are expecting Usman to win, though, is what you're saying. But you think Burns worth the risk? I, I think, yeah, I think if this was a coin flip pick and somebody had a gun to my head and said, pick the winner of this fight, I'm, I'm picking Usman. It's the safer pick. Um, but as far as like, yeah, as far as where the value is, there's to me, there's literally no value on Usman at negative 270 because I think this fight is way closer than, you know, damn near three to one odds on Usman or, um, or three to one odds on Burns or two to one odds somewhere in between those two. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, 
Usman is probably ultimately going to retain his title here. But with the punching power of Burns, I, I think that number is at least interesting. No, it's true. Um, so you actually have three underdogs on the night, plus 215 Burns, plus 210 Miller, plus 150 um, Coconut Bombs. So you, you got three. Um, I ended up with, I think, five because I took Pedro Munoz at plus 110, and I also took Barbara at plus 110. So um, any – Props, parlays, anything like that that people should keep an eye on. Yeah, 100% if you're playing, looking for prop bets on this card, bet, bet Rodolfo Vieira by deci- or by uh, submission because he's going to sub him. Um, you know, if you're feeling, you know, really froggy, you know, go for Rodolfo Vieira sub in the first round, you know, because I think he's probably going to get it done whenever he wants to get it done. Um, and I got to imagine after some time away, he goes and gets it done in the first um, that's what he did against Varvik Safarov in his last fight. And, you know, he's been away for a little while. So I would say, yeah, that's one that I really like. Uh, the other ones I really like, is if, if I was going to parlay here, I really like Miranda Maverick's odds at negative 145. I think the likelihood of her grinding out uh, Jillian Robertson here is pretty high. I would also say if you're you're putting together a parlay, you've found some people you think you found value on. Just throw Ricky Simon in a parlay, too. There, there's no reason not to. He's going to win this. He's going to boost your odds. Um, so, you know, I would put Miranda Maverick and somebody like Ricky Simon in a uh, parlay together anyway. But, like, if you're thinking about putting together your own parlay, you've got some numbers you like, you got some people you like, throw Ricky Simon in it just to boost it at the end. There, we had a couple of our catchphrases there. We've got uh, hashtag chunky guy earlier on, and then we have hashtag throw him into parlay. So, got to um, keep the fans happy. <laughs> exactly. Are, are we are we happy with our picks, Dan? Are you happy with with how we've how we've uh, mapped out how the next weekend's going to go? You you have to believe first of all. So yes, I'm happy. This is the week things turn around. Positive mentality going into the next one. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave you on a positive note then. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. That would be Jeff Fox Writer, and he would be Gumby Vreeland. Um, make sure you f- listen to his two other podcasts, Top Turtle MMA, which I'm sure he'll have some good. Wh- who do you have on the show this coming week? This coming week is going to be Jimmy Rivera is joining us, as well as Gabe Green, which I did pick both of those, uh, not because they're on the show, but both of those – uh, interviews will be available probably Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. You, um, I should be tracking this, but it's a very high percentage that Dan picks the people that he actually talks to on the podcast. Just, it, it, it is just a, so you know. High, it is a high pick, high and, and if we go to last week, that did not bode well for me. Either. No. <laughs> so he's, either, he's either biased or he only has on fighters that he thinks are, are going to win on his podcast one or the other so um and then also listen to his prelim picker where he will give you all the picks uh, him and a guest will give you all the picks for prelim fights and you can read all his stuff on uh on the site that we both write on and that i run mma-manifesto.com uh, you can check my stuff on sports gamblingpodcast.com now that football's over we well, we're still going to be going we got the nba we've got baseball starting soon uh, you'll get the mma stuff for me uh, there's still hockey of course there's uh, golf there's still plenty of stuff on on uh, that site that you degens can can bet on um and i guess that's it so until next week when we tell you how great we did with their picks uh i bid you adios
It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.